up, what up, what up? Welcome to another edition of Green with Envy. As always, this is your boy, Will Weir, checking in. Riding with me is my co-host and best friend, Greg Manegas. What's good, brother? How you doing today? We doing really good, man. We got a really special guest with us here today on Green with Envy. If, like us, you are in the midst of Celtics Twitter on a constant basis, this name is going to be no surprise to you. Joining us for a very special edition here on Green with Envy, we have Adam Taylor of Celtics Blog and Celtics Blog Podcast. Adam, what's going on, man? Hey, thanks for that intro, guys, man. I'm happy to be here. Um... I'm feeling a bit sad, a bit jaded, a <laughs> uh, bit, bit depressed for a sun, for an early Sunday evening. How are you guys doing? Doing pretty good, man. You know, I'm, I'm sorry that, you know, I know you're over in England right now, which we're going to get into in a second. So these day games are, are almost a present for you so that you don't have to stay up until the wee hours of the morning trying to cover this team. So I'm, I'm sorry that we have to come on after such a such a depressing defeat. Man, every game they've played that's been at a reasonable hour for me this year has been a defeat. Um, 0-3 now in early games. To play again next Sunday, so hopefully they can, um, on a matinee again. I think that's at 3.30 Eastern, so um, hopefully you know, I can be tweeting happy thoughts after that one. Yeah, well, well we really appreciate you being here, man. And you know, I, I was hoping that you could kind of tell us a little bit about you know, what it's like just being over there in England or London, wherever you're actually at. And, um, you know, what it's like covering the Celtics from afar. Cause I know that can't be easy, brother. Yeah. I mean, it, it's tough. It's tough. Um, the time difference makes it really difficult trying to, you know, obviously I'm trying to forge a career. So the, you, I continually say you're on kind of like this vicious cycle where you can't get a job unless you move, but you can't move until you get a job, right? So figuring out how to break that circle and kind of worm your way in is really, really tough. I've missed out on a few opportunities over the last 12 months or so where I would have been a decent, like a, a, a good candidate for positions, but then obviously companies aren't in financial positions to pay for your work visas and relocation packages. So, uh, mentally like that it's tough in terms of like um time differences i've just got into a really good routine of if it's not an important game turn off all my social media notifications and watch the game the next morning usually people still want to read and read my tweets or read what i write about it the next day because it's still current um if it's a podcast and like the one i really struggle with is like um I have a podcast schedule. So mine release Monday, Wednesday, Friday. If the Celtics are playing on a Thursday and it's like a 2 a.m. start, then I have to make a decision. Do I release a podcast that's more generalized for the Friday or do I mm-hmm. record it and release it later on that Friday? And uh, that's probably the toughest one because you have to really kind of predict what's going to happen in that game. If you think it's <laughs> going to be a blowout win, you, you're waiting until the Friday. If, if I knew that the Wizards were going to lose as um, sorry, Wizards were going to win as good as big as they did today in terms of dominant performance. I would have recorded tomorrow's podcast on Friday and just made it a general discussion because I don't want to be sad for an hour. So um, <laughs> it is tough. It is tough, but it's I thoroughly enjoy it. I mean, uh, the, I've got to meet a bunch of great people. Um, got to interview a bunch of great people. I've made some very, very close friends through all this. So um, I wouldn't change it for the world. Uh, and anything, anything, I've always gone with a. Uh, Nothing worth doing is easy and, no, and nothing easy is worth doing. So I kind of just continually tell myself that and I hope eventually everything falls into place. 
Yeah, man. Well, I got to give you all the credit in the world. We, we talked about in our last podcast. So Greg and I are, are based in Austin, Texas, here in the States. Uh, we're both from Dorchester inside of Boston, but and that's where I actually am right now. And so this past week during the Jazz game, usually the game's an hour later and I'm already thrown off. I fell asleep right after halftime. Meanwhile, you're up here grinding at 2.30 a.m., one hour difference. I'm all thrown off. So I give you all the credit in the world for that grind and hustle that you put into it. But let's step back for a second. And, you know, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit, you know, how did this all start for you? You know, a guy out in England falls in love with the Celtics and now is, is chasing this dream that, you know, Greg and I are on that journey as well, too. You know, T- tell us a little bit about how this all got started for you. Yeah, I mean, living in England's uh, tough at the best of times, especially when you hate the weather. You don't like the, the culture is a bit non-existent. Um, so soccer for me was never really anything that appealed to me. I didn't get the... I've always been one, like, if everybody else is doing it, then don't be that sheep, right? So, um, you know, growing up, I used to watch basketball. It used to be on the TV once a week. Um, just a highlight game. We'd get one game, probably a ball. It was either um, a Bulls, a Lakers, a Celtics. Uh, they might have threw in some Pistons back then as well, but I don't really remember watching a Pistons game personally. Um I always saw the this was during like the Patino years as well. So the Celtics sucked. Like um, we start they started putting it on at the beginning because it was coming towards the end of Larry Bird era. And um, I used to be like, "Well, this team's trash. So I'm going to support this team because otherwise I'm going to be like everybody else, right? Everybody wants to jump on the Michael Jordan train. So all of a sudden they're showing balls games. Now everybody loves Michael Jordan. I love MJ too. Don't get me wrong, but I was like, I, I don't if I'm not going to be into soccer and I'm going to kind of be a pariah for that, I don't want to kind of jump on the hype train of Chicago. Um, so I started following the Celtics from then. That went on then. <sighs> Years of Celtics basketball grew here. The internet came. We got league pass. Uh, but, you know, you got, I say this on anyone that asks me this. I always use this example. You guys go to work, whether it be at the office, the building site, um, taxi driving, whatever you're doing, you can always turn to the guy and be like, hey, did you catch the Celtics game last night? Or did you watch the NBA last night? What did you think? I don't get those conversations at work. I don't get those interactions at the bar. Um, so for me, it was like, I need an outlet. I need to find somewhere I can talk to people about basketball. Uh, in my head at the time, and I've kind of learned this not to be true now, I was like, do I know enough about basketball to speak to an American audience or am I going to sound like an idiot? But someone was like, Hey, you need to get yourself on Twitter. Twitter's where the NBA is, you know, just start tweeting, you know, you're going to get into some arguments, but it's going to go, you're going to get to at least talk about basketball. So that's what I did. Um, a couple of weeks later, somebody was like, man, your takes are quite good. You should start a blog. So I did. Then somebody was like, Hey, we should supplement the blog with a podcast. So I did. Uh, <laughs> and then it kind of just went from there, right? Like um, I got a couple of lucky breaks, um, met some really awesome people. And then over time, the podcast I was doing kind of, you know, changed direction a bit, renamed it, rebranded everything. And then it started to grow. We started, and over this course of time, obviously I was networking with the the beat writers in the league. Um, people were starting to not respect me, but at least know my name on Twitter, right? So, like, if, if I tweeted some out, people would click the link. More and more, I was seeing those link clicks increase. Um, throughout that time, I'm writing at a website called Hoops Habit on the side just to try and get a bit more exposure, and I was their Celtics guy there. And um, I used to just, every, every now and then, I'd just 
email Celtics blog like hey here's a list of what I've wrote over the last three months if you've ever got an opening let me know um and I used to do that probably every two three months just not not pushy just like hey here's what I have um obviously would love to take the step up to work for you guys if that ever eventually they emailed me back one day um lucky again it's luck just like hey there's an opening um you know it's not nothing major you'd be like a we only want once or twice a week and I've got my foot in the door. And since then I've just been grinding and grinding and um, a big shout out to Keith Smith. Cause he was the guy that initially put in um, like the recommendation or the good word for me to uh, get into that spot. So um big shout out to Keith. He's been a, a tremendous help to me all the way through you know, a couple of other guys too, but I'm not going to start reading off names. Like this is a, an MVP <laughs> MVP award. Hey, this, this, is a, this is a big moment for you, bro. You're on the green with the MV podcast. This might, some, <laughs> some might say this is a step back for you, but I don't know. I think we're saying this is a step forward. Yeah, it's a step forward for sure, dude. <laughs> it's a step forward for sure. I've got a trophy somewhere. I should go hold it off and start giving a proper speech. <laughs> but no, I mean, look, look, I got lucky, um, very lucky, some lucky breaks. Um, and now I'm here and I, I just, I'm exactly doing exactly what I did before, but my audience is bigger. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I'm just working to be good enough to move on to have a bigger audience or at least add an additional, um, like an additional site to increase that audience because I wouldn't want to move away from Celtics blog unless it was like, you know, a full-time opportunity. It was like, you can't do this for Celtics blog no more. Um, they're great over there. Really great bunch of guys. And that's pretty much been it. It's just, uh, Four years now, three or four years. This is my third season covering the team, and I started halfway through. So three and a half years of uh, just sleepless nights. And I treat it like a job, dude. So I do my full-time job, and then I come home, and I treat this like a job. So uh, event, you know, eventually you kind of got to uh, hope that you start seeing some form of, um, of traction. Otherwise, you're doing something completely wrong. That's great, man. Well, I, I, I really appreciate you being on here. It's funny because probably about a month ago or maybe six weeks ago, I had tagged you in one of my uh, Twitter stories, right? But it puts you to the first part of the story. And the first part of the story was like something about like, don't stop listening to this podcast, start listening to Green with Envy. And I was tagging you in the next one, right? So you hit me up and you were just like, hey, dude, like what's up with this? And I was like, oh, bro, like, no, I I, like respect the hell out of you. You're such a good follow on Twitter. And I just felt like such a dick because I had tagged you in it. I tagged Keith Smith. I tagged John Corrales. And I'm like, oh, all these dudes are going to think that we're coming for them. And we're, we're fans of all you guys. So, uh, we really appreciate you being here, dude. I mean, first of all, thank you for putting me in the same breath as the rest of those guys. That's awesome. Um, second of all, dude, I remember that, like, because I was like, what have I, I've never spoke to these guys. Why am, why am I, why are they throwing shade? And then I'm looking and because everyone you tagged like in the media was all own there and operate their own shows. I was like, these guys are really calling us all out. And I was like, let me ask them because you know how Twitter is. There's no context. Everybody takes things the wrong way. I've torn mm-hmm. guys new ones. And um turns out they were joking with me and I've been rather abrasive. So um, I've learned to kind of just go through the DMs and see what's what. Um, but it was funny. I mean, I started listening to your show a little bit after that. Um, I, I think... Um, I think sometimes when you meet people through those kind of interactions, uh, you remember more, so you look out for what they do more. So, uh, you know, it was it was funny. I, I saw the, the brighter side of things on that one. 
Yeah, that's our uh, that's our expert marketing strategy for all those listening out there. Start beefs with everyone that you want to connect with and you look up to. Just just go I mean, ahead and start fights with them. <laughs> it's better than going to Skype with Brian Root and just starting fights with everybody for no reason, right? <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, it's I mean that's just that's kind of like almost the nature of the beast when it comes to Twitter. And you know, you talked about it, like it's it's so easy on that platform to just have you know your words misconstrued or taken the wrong way. So uh, you know, we're glad it got us all here and be together, man. Uh, let's fast forward a little bit to today we're all getting together here on a relatively somber celtics note just finished up a very disappointing loss to the wizards this afternoon 104 to 91 adam usually what we do after we try to come on after a game we do something called the morning box score and it's a throwback for greg and i thinking back to you know our time as kid as kids in the morning we go grab the boston globe the boston herald we sit down you know get a bowl of frosted flakes pop it open take a look at the box score and check what's going on just gives you a nice little snapshot of of what was happening so we do the morning box score after every game that we come on today let's be real it's kind of a shit show so not too much that you can really take away from this game you know just real quick to set the stage Kemba Jalen Brown both had 25 points for Kemba actually the season high on the year probably one of the better games that he's looked Jalen solid game you know given his standards that he set the season a little bit below when you add in the five turnovers but Jason Tatum just I don't know what to make of this. Six points, three of 14 from the field, more fouls than he had made field goals, only two three-point field goals, even attempted. Uh, And then on the Wizards side, you know, one of the worst teams in the league, but we all know Brad Beal's a walking bucket. 37 points, seven rebounds, five assists is what it is. These games do happen, but they're becoming far too frequent. Adam, as the, you know, as the guest of honor here. Where would you like to begin trying to assess anything that's happened in the last couple last couple of games, starting with today? Oh boy, um, that's a that's a tough tough question. I think it's got to be the um, for me, and I've been harping on about this. I'm a broken record with this. For me, it's the um, it's the spread pick and roll offense, right? That's the biggest issue for me at the moment. Very predictable, very your turn, my turn style of basketball. Um, Jalen Brown will go high pick and roll ISO. Jason Tatum will go high pick and roll ISO. Campbell Walker on the floor, let's give him a high pick and roll ISO. Like, to me, that's fine because I understand that you don't have any secondary creators that you can truly rely on. But when you look at playing against teams like Washington or like Detroit the other night, when you run that type of isolation play, they're going to run drop defense. They're going to ask their wings to pinch. And then all of a sudden, you're really screwed, right? Like Because now there's no clear lane to the basket. So you've got two choices, force a bad shot or reset the offense and try and break them down. And you're always that one step behind. Uh, to me, that's the biggest issue. And that's going to be what's bleeding into all of these trash performances. Yeah, I, I the the word that stood out to me and what you just said was predictability. You know, I was tweeting some stuff out today, especially with Tatum when he's in the pick and roll. And I don't have any like the advanced numbers on me right now, but what I'm seeing just the eye test is when we get into that pick and roll, we're allowing the defense to set right. If we ever get them in rotation, Tatum gets the ball or. Jalen gets the ball. Jalen's probably better at, much better at this than Tatum is just getting the ball and attacking the scene. But when Tatum gets the ball, he's just letting the defense set. All the help defenders are pinching in, as you said, and there's just no, you know, nowhere for him to go. 
And he's not necessarily, he's not on like the same level as the LeBrons and the Lucas or the playmakers. So those, those like elite level passes that you hope that he's going to be able to make consistently are just not there consistently for him yet, you know? And it seems like right now, one of the things that we're really looking to do is like have an offense that would work towards the end of a game. And we're trying to do it like right from the jump. And you can't have this predictable pick and roll offense where Tatum's trying to get the switch and get a favorable, you know, one-on-one isolation against a big or against a small, um, you know, that he could kind of take into the post. You, c- you can't do that in the first quarter, right? You, you, you have to like save that for the moments that really count when, you know, when the, when the defense is locked in and you're not getting the stops, you're, you're not getting out in transition. You just need to be able to run that offense when it matters and not, try to do it 48 minutes no team in the league does it for 48 minutes and right now that seems like the Celtics plan and it's not working out I mean for me it's like I completely agree with what you're saying it's um the definition of insanity right is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result when you're running these high pick and rolls every single offensive possession and there's no um no experimentation there's no actual sets being called out then Teams will stop switching because they know what you're hunting. So then by just stopping switching, dropping, pinching in, and forcing the pickup or forcing um, a contested two or contested three, you're you're slowly wearing the team down. You're wearing the Celtics um, mentality down. And you could see that in this game against Washington. They looked defeated as soon as they realized the ball wasn't falling. And that gave Washington that extra, like, oomph to really lock in defensively because now they know that there's going to be some wild swing passes coming because that the drive isn't there and the, and the shot for JT isn't falling. So the pass is going to start getting swung side to side. It might be a skip pass. It might be a baseline pass, but they were clogging every single passing lane. If you look at teams like LA, like the Lakers at the moment, um, they've run so many different variations of one single set that they're really like, you know what's coming, but it's hit really hard to predict which guy they're going to hit. So they're running a lot of elbow sets at the moment, especially on um, sidelines in bounds plays. Uh, they'll run a lot of elbow sets, but sometimes there might be a back cut and they'll look for the lob. Other times they might, um, start with the elbow and then go to a split cut. And now there's two passing options for Boston. Everything is so basic right now. And I get it. There's a lot of young guys on the team. So simplifying is probably your smartest option, but there's a point where now this is so rudimentary that I just don't know how you're expecting to beat these guys. You look at how they played against Toronto and how they incorporated get actions into there. They've run, um, well, a get action is basically a handoff, but obviously you throw it to the big and then you go and get the ball back without the big dribbling. And then you can run a couple of different back cuts out of there. You can set back screens and you can make things happen off the, off one simple, it's literally what it's called. You're getting the ball back. Um, so, if you can run that simple type of offense and get so many good looks against a team like Toronto, why have you gone back to this isolation style of play against two teams that you should be tearing to pieces? Um, it just doesn't make sense to me. And I don't know if this is a coaching thing or if it's a player's thing, but this was, to me, it's one of the things that's been most prevalent, especially in this game against Washington when everything went wrong. Yeah, and to that last part, you know, whether it's a player's thing, a coach's thing, you know, for both you and Greg here, trying to trying to think progressively, you know, to try and fix this 
is the solution available internally or is this the external route that you think is is maybe the best way to approach and that's that's where that falls into Danny Ainge and you know and, and it depends and you know Greg and I and you know, everyone on on Twitter and in all the diff, you know all the different areas of, of different social media we've speculated where's the TPE being used where can Danny Ainge go and get an upgrade I think it's been widely acknowledged that this team is clearly imperfect has many holes and and trying to figure out if we're really going to take you know what we have in our two stars and being able to to utilize them to their full maximum capacity how do we get the right players around them so you know trying to think of everything that you guys just talked about of what you saw today and really how that applies to problems that have been existing throughout the season do do you guys think that problem can be solved internally or is or is this really something can only be solved externally by going that trade buyout you know free agent route yeah, I can hop in there. Um, I, I, you know, I've kind of been saying this all year, man. Like Celtics fans get so high for the highs and so low for the lows that when you have these guys like Sammy Ojale and Grant Williams and Daniel Tice, that they have these outlier weeks or outlier cup, you know, ten game stretches where all of a sudden Grant Williams is shooting forty five percent from three or Daniel Tice is forty seven percent, and then he comes back to earth because they're just not that good as shooters. You know what I mean? Like history shows that they're they're okay, but those are not the guys that are going to make a difference in like a really big moment. And I think we saw that last year. We always come back to this will, but. Daniel Tyson in the Eastern Conference Finals when the pre- when like guys are closing out hard on him and the, the, you're game planning for him a little bit more you see that he's just uh, he doesn't really have that quick shot and Grant's Grant just like I, I don't know Adam I was on your locker room recently and we were talking a little bit about Grant and I, I just don't know what Grant can bring consistently against every single team and that's my biggest issue is we have all these pieces on the bench that could work situationally but they don't work from game to game. And it's like we're trying to adjust to what other teams are doing instead of other teams adjusting to what we can do by putting our best guys out there. And I don't think that lineup is right now you know, currently able to be constructed with what we have on our roster. I think we need to make a move and try and turn some of these guys that we try and plug in situationally into something that other teams have to prepare for. I'm just interested to see what Adam thinks. I mean, you you make a really good point when you're talking about situational fits because that is pretty much what the whole bench comprises on. But the problem is, because we know it, we're damn sure that other teams know it. So what they do is they play you in a way that, that your situational fits don't fit the situations they put you in. It's, it's basic math 101, right? If they're good at shooting, don't let no corner freeze a bit of, appear for the first half of the game. Now they're not going to try and risk putting a guy like um, Carson Edwards in there because where does Carson Edwards' value come if they're closing off the three-point line more and more? Uh, I completely agree that there needs to be some form of consolidation with these young guys. Look, do, you, there's a point where you have to accept that some of these guys are going to go on and have very good, very Im- impactful NBA careers. Uh, it's most likely not going to be in Boston. And regardless of if you move them now in a year or you let their contracts expire, they're not getting the minutes here to impact games. So not only are you never going to see how good they actually are in Boston, they're never going to get to know how good they are or earn enough money elsewhere either. So, Look, I'm completely happy with saying certain guys are off the board in trade discussions. You know, uh, is Peyton Pritchard going to be good enough to be a secondary guard on a play, on a playoff team? Oh, sorry, on a championship team. If the answer is no, then look, he's been great, but he's got to go. And these are the tough questions you need to ask yourself. It's okay stuck in the cupboard, but 
and Keith Smith wrote about this the other day and he called it like the bananas on, on the counter, right? So like eventually those bananas go bad. So you want to move these bananas off before they go bad. So you look at who there is and how they play. And if they're not championship level or their ceiling isn't championship level rotation piece, guts to go and you need to put them in positions now to start building that trade value so the return isn't ridiculous which is why I like seeing Neesmith play today and why I thought his impressive display is actually really good not only for him earning minutes but for putting him in the shot window and being like look this is a a lottery pick from this year's draft and we're going to dangle him in front of you for a guy like Harrison Barnes or a guy like Aaron Gordon and they need to do that more if they're losing already lose with the young guys and start building that value yeah, Adam, your your reasoning is music to my ears. I feel like I've been trying to articulate that, whether it's on Twitter or, you know, here on our podcast, is that, you know, number one, we're going to have to give up something that you might like. You know, that's that's just that's how a trade works as far as the other team also looking to improve themselves in some capacity, whether in the short term or the long term. And, you know, with some of these guys, you know, whether it's a Rob Williams or you talked about Peyton Pritchard, like, you know, you do have to assess where's the line? Where, where do you draw the line in the sand? But ultimately, you know, yeah, is it going to, you know, what happened? Like people kind of freak out a little bit about what if we go get a role player and then what if Grant Williams becomes a, a solid rotational player and maybe he goes to the exact right situation? Well, is that really worth holding on to on that off chance, that sliver of hope that he becomes, a, if that's his ceiling is being a rotational player and you can put him in to some type of trade that makes you better now while you have two potential all NBA guys? I think that's something you do all day, every day, and and it really shouldn't be much of a hesitation, but, you know, you see the same things that we do. Um, I'm curious to know, you know, you talked about Neesmith today, and he was one of the few guys that showed, like, he at least had a pulse while he was while he was on the court today. You know, what are some of the things that, that you think that you would look for from any of those, that grouping of, of younger guys that you think could add value to them so that Danny Ainge can present them in a trade? Like, who are the players that, that you're looking for, and what do you think you can you can see out of them or brad stevens could get out of them okay so i'm going to purposely leave romeo langford off this discussion um yeah simply because he should be staying in boston regardless uh that's a very biased opinion which i have no reason to give. Oh, so that's because you're so high on romeo langford unreasonably high on oh romeo. okay all right um, that's an interesting one yeah, I believe that he's going to be the guy that can really, in a year or two, will really make a difference. I could be wrong, but I've just got this unwavering belief that Romeo needs to stay. Um, for someone like, um, let's start with Nick Smith, because that's who we just spoke about. We're already seeing what he needed to show. We knew he could shoot, and that shot hasn't translated yet. Um, he can shoot off movement. He can shoot um, while stationary. But obviously, you need to get used to shooting off movement or while stationary with a six to seven, a six foot eight, seven foot powerhouse closing out at you. There's a big difference from going from college where everybody's your size, maybe a little bit taller, but they're all skinny. To now, you're trying to shoot over behemoths that should be heavyweight boxers. Uh, it's a completely different scenario and it takes time to adjust and there's a range difference in that shot and there's a speed difference. So what you look for from Neesmith while that shot isn't falling is defense and actual intensity, a willingness to make yourself look stupid at times, you know, try and draw charges, um, clog the passing lane, get in front of guys, hustle them, hound them. If you draw some stupid fouls, he luck, he uh, ran a really good luck and trail. I think Jay King pointed it out as well. Coming off, um, I think the cut started on the weak side uh, dunk spot, went all the way across the baseline, up onto the, um, the, the strong side slot. 
and Neesmith trailed him all the way, got his hand in his face and adjusted the shot enough that the shot, um, I can't remember who took the shot, but the shot went up, didn't drop. And it's things like that that's going to build value because teams will think now, well, this is a free and D guy. This isn't just a three-point specialist. A three-point specialist has a very limited amount of value they're going to bring, whereas a free and D guy, now that value starts to become... Um, incrementally bigger every game because teams need somebody that can play both sides of the floor. So when you're looking at Neesmith, I think if he keeps getting minutes, keeps impressing on defense, he could be a really big piece to dangle. So a team like Sacramento that are on a youth movement and have an outlier guy in like Barnes, um, you know, you've got De'Aaron Fox, you've got Tyrese Halliburton and Marvin Bagley. Does putting Aaron Neesmith in there make more sense than putting him in with Boston? Probably yes, if we're being quite honest. Uh, then you look at a guy like uh, Robert Williams. He's showing everything he needs to show except for health, right? And unfortunately, putting him in games isn't going to help him show he can stay healthy because he seems to pick up most of his injuries while in games. So he's a, he's a tough one to kind of um, rationalize with because he's shown that he can be an exceptional passer. Um, he, he can be a decent rebounder. When he's locked in, he's a good rim protector and he's growing as a short roll threat. There's value there, but the fact that he's played less games than Grant Williams in an extra season is cause for concern, right? Grant Williams was uh, trash today. I don't know if you guys want to talk about that for a moment. He was giving up fouls while the team was in the bonus, and he had no reason fouling. Yeah, I, I, a couple of things I want to hit on. Ne- Neesmith, you know, he, he looks like he's now physically ready to play the, the game of basketball. You know, at the beginning of the season, um, he, he just didn't really look like, you know, he, he looked like he still had his, like, sea legs. And, and now he's back on land and he's not running around. Like, the, the image that always comes to mind, I don't know if you remember this, Adam, when, like, we got Stefan Marbury, like, way back in the day, in, like, 2010 or 2011, whatever it was, and he hadn't played in so long. We threw him out in, like, a game in a big moment, and that dude was just, like, tripping and falling all over the place. And that's what Aaron Neesmith kind of reminded me of, like, the, the first couple times that he got in this year, and the game was just way too fast for him. He was running around like a chicken with his head cut off, um, but he was doing it at a, at a pace that was almost like unsustainable. You know, he was just like, I, I have to run full speed. And he wasn't really thinking or processing what he was seeing. And today I saw so many great things that lock and trail that you talked about came almost directly after um, he got Kemba out of a switch. Right. So uh, Rui Hachimura had Kemba in a switch in the paint and Neesmith saw it right away, scrammed him out to the corner, deed up uh, Rui right in the middle of the, of the court and um, forced a, a tough fadeaway jump shot. And then he had a couple nice plays. You know, he stoned uh, Bradley Beal on a fast break. I his angles and transition defense was great. He was keeping everybody towards the sideline, which was beautiful. He had Westbrook a couple times in transition, did a really good job there. So Neesmith, in terms of increasing his value, um, you know, talking about pieces we don't want to let go. I've I've been all year like, oh, we can trade Aaron Neesmith, no problem, no tra- no problem. And I saw him today, and I'm like, man, like he's actually. I would rather him play over almost anybody on the bench right now. Like, there's nobody on the bench right now that has done enough to take minutes away from Neesmith, especially when you're trying to put him in the shop window, as you said. And uh, with Rob Williams, I kind of wanted to get your your thoughts on his um, defensive chops. So what I'm seeing from from Rob Williams is that he's an elite athlete, but still, for some reason, isn't making the right reads on defense most of the time. Um, I, I think that he's making up for bad positioning with his athleticism still, which is not what you want to see. So I'm kind of wondering if, if you've been able to dive a little bit deeper into how effective 
Robert Williams has been as a defender in what is this year three for him? So, uh, yeah, um, I have dove a little deeper, but not statistically. I've done a bit of film work on him recently because I agree with you. He does make up for his bad positioning, bad defensive rotations with what I call bailout blocks. So he'll get blocks or he'll adjust shots in the rear view. And everybody thinks he's done a fantastic job because the ball hasn't gone in. And now everyone glosses over the fact that if Rob Williams was in position correctly and was locked in, that shot would never have taken place in the first place. It would have had to have been, um, somebody would have had to redirect the ball, right? So the main thing I've noticed is that Rob Williams is so focused on the ball handler when he's a secondary defender that he loses his man regularly. He gets back cut a bunch. Uh, and that's mainly because, uh, and teams will do this too, and they'll set a back screen on him because they know he's not paying attention to what's happening. And then, his guy or back cut as Rob Williams turns around and he slams into this back screen. And now you've taken him out of the bailout block area too. And this is where people start being like, oh, that was a terrible rotation by Rob Williams. It was terrible 10 seconds ago. It just got elevated once the back pick got set. Um, so it's mainly those two things for me. I feel like his, um, his angles, as you pointed out, with Neesmith that were great, Neesmith, his angles aren't fantastic. I feel he opens up his, um, his hips too much to guys and allows a bit of a baseline instead of icing directly to the sidelines, uh, which allows people to turn the corner on him. And again, he's relying on his athleticism. And I don't know if that's because he's trying to position them for an easy block. But for me, you don't open your hips up and allow that corner to be turned once you're defending around the logo area. Uh, it just makes no sense to me. And then laterally, he's really quick. Vertically, he's really quick. But what I've noticed is he doesn't slide his feet great on a, a vertical side. Like on a, Am I right now? No, so vertically, he's really quick Like in terms of backpedaling and jumping. But when he's going side to side, he moves a bit too slow for my liking. I know he's got the foot speed there to make it work. But again, that comes down to angles and cutting off access to the hoop. Uh, I'm probably explaining that pretty bad. I'll find a video and I'll tweet it out tomorrow. Okay. Well, I think one of the things with, with Robert Williams is that he's so high in his stance, right? So he, he could be taking these like strong, powerful steps laterally. And instead he's taking, he's almost like getting his feet crossed. Like he could, he could like benefit from some like fourth grade defensive slide drills. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't, and I that's don't... part of opening your hips up as well, right? Like if you're too high up, your hips are more open. As you lower yourself down, your body will pinch in. And again, that's how you're going to be able to cut off the baseline too. For sure, for sure, and he's he's just one of those guys that doesn't seem to have his head on a swivel. Like, like as you had said, he just loses track of people, and you know I I don't we can't hear the communication on the TV. I was hoping this year with like no fans that we'd be able to hear which guys communicate, and I, I don't really hear anything from Robert Williams. Um, but I, I would like to see him calling out coverages a little bit more than he does. You know, the one coverage that you you hear a lot in the NBA is you hear people call ice. And I, I, I've heard him call ice a little bit more this year than he has in the past. Um, but I would like to be able to see him just, you know, really anchor that back line. And right now he's just a guy that Brad doesn't really trust. And we, like you said, going back to the, the whole point of this discussion is like increasing trade value. I think he's already hit his highs on the court where the more you put him out there, you're almost putting him in positions to get hurt one, but also like to decrease his value because teams already know like the peak of what Rob Williams can offer. Right. So that maybe, maybe that is a reason why his minutes have been inconsistent other than um, the fact that he's been injured. That's just something to consider. 
I like the fact that he calls ice, but he's the one that lets guys turn the corner as well. That's uh, <laughs> that's generally the biggest problem for me. You're you're screaming ice, and you're the one allowing the drive. You're literally the ice. Go on, go on, ice. <laughs> and you just it, it, to me, that's what drives me insane. I love Rob Williams. I think his uh his ceiling is really high, but I mm-hmm. think that he needs the minutes to really work through these issues. Bigs generally take longer to develop than what wings and guards do. And I just don't think he's going to get that time in Boston, unfortunately. If he was going to get it, it would have been this year. And the MLE would have been used on a wing rather than Tristan mm-hmm. Thompson, which at the moment is, I wish, I kind of wish it was used on a wing instead of Tristan Thompson, <laughs> if I'm being honest. It was it was a little late, I remember, at the time because of all the Gordon Hayward drama. So it was also light on wings at that point as well, which, which I, I know Paul Millsap, I think, was the, the rumored first, even though he kind of is, you know, he's a wing slash, you know, small big, depending on how you, you want to label him. But Adam, give us give us one name that you're outside of Harrison Barnes. I think we've all mentioned Harrison Barnes. We're all, everyone in Celtics Twitter has become a Harrison Barnes stand in the last, you know, two to three weeks, which of course means that that trade is now never going to happen since we've all started talking about it. So give me another name outside of Harrison Barnes that you think, you know, Danny Ainge should be targeting and that you would maybe even like to see end up in a Celtic uniform before the end of the season. Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, I've been so focused on Barnes. Yeah, um, he's, he's the ideal fit. <laughs> oh, man, I've been begging. Um, I mean, this one's been thrown out too. It's probably a cop out. Uh, Aaron Gordon probably screams the next best option to me. Uh, I think that he's been a first, and I've said this on the locker room room that you was in, Greg, a few times. Um, he's been a first or second option pretty much all of his career, and his skill set doesn't translate to being that high usage guy he's more for me he'd be a better third or fourth guy on a rotation i think that he could one of the things with the celtics at the minute is they're 22nd i think in um time to shoot percentage which is how long it takes to get a shot off obviously it's quite um and that's at 12.2 seconds on average per possession when you look at that and you look at why well Where's the athleticism outside of Jalen Brown, outside of Robert Williams? Who's really, who would you class as jump through the roof athletic that is generally in the rotation? We'll ignore Javante Green for this conversation. I don't really have anyone else. Tatum's athletic, but he's not bouncing out the gym, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to play at a slower pace because there's only so many guys there that can run a fast break and really put pressure as a rim runner by bringing in somebody like Aaron Gordon that can play as a third or fourth option that can jump over the hoop almost. Do you know what I mean? Uh, you re- you change the way the Celtics can play. You add pace to the roster. You add um, a little bit of a three-point threat, but you also add some strength on defense as a wing as well. I'm not saying he's he's not Harrison Barnes' level of good on defense, but he's an upgrade on Grant Williams' level of good on defense, you know? So um, he fits quite well. I just don't know if I'd be comfortable saying that he's the guy that gets you to a championship. But I do think there's a third or fourth option. He could be really good. Yeah, I think that's probably his ideal role. And, and you talk about his athleticism. I actually just uh, rewatched someone re- reposted this on Twitter earlier. The Aaron Gordon, Zach Levine dunk contest from a couple of years ago, which is still probably, you know, pound for pound, you know, other than like, obviously, you know, someone like Jordan versus Dominique because of the level of two Hall of Fame players going at not, not quite to that level. But as far as, you know, the actual dunks they were doing, probably the best one on one dunk matchup that I've ever seen. So I think that would be a really interesting twist to bring in to the Celtics and and see what works with that but uh but Adam you know 
we're going to transition here to a new segment that we're doing because we want to we're going to get you out of here after we do this segment. we got a brand new segment you're going to be our first guest on it so no pressure never done this before you're going to be our first guest to do it so l- let me break it down for you and everybody listening what's going to happen here we call this the fast break we're going to put 60 seconds on the clock here and by the clock i mean my iphone going to go ahead and put 60 seconds on it greg and i are going to go back and forth adam rapid fire asking you questions alternating back and forth and these are going to be short answer questions true or false yes or no name this name that just one word one name and we're going to go back and forth and try and ask you as many questions as we can in one minute can you handle fast, that? yeah the fast break hot take this is what you're going to do there you're you go everybody's credibility with this let's go <laughs> yeah then we're going to replay it every time you try and tweet something out we're going to take it <laughs> aggregate it and put it up there and remind you about it <laughs> with no context whatsoever I love exactly it. exactly hey, go ahead greg it will if, if i run out of questions just feel free to keep firing them off <laughs> okay you let you let me know but we're gonna we're gonna get this started we're gonna start with you first greg so are you ready adam i'm all yeah let's do it all right greg are you ready i'm ready all right, starting in three, two, go. Least favorite Celtic on the current roster. Taco Full. Favorite all-time Celtic. Paul Pierce. Pick one to keep. Peyton Pritchard or Aaron Neesmith? Peyton Pritchard. Settle the debate right now. Fast PP, 8 Mile, or P-Rabbit? P-Rabbit. Doc Rivers or Brad Stevens? Brad Stevens. Your favorite England pub? Non-existent. Ooh, okay. Lob Williams or Grant Williams? Lob Williams. Your favorite NBA Twitter follow? Whew. Keith Smith. Lob Williams as a nickname or Time Lord as a nickname? Lob Williams. Do you prefer a cask ale or a cold lager? Cask ale. <laughs> Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown? Tatum. Time, time, time. That's almost, pr- we almost, guys, I gotta, I gotta say, it's pretty impressive. We're literally 0.43, like one, one minute and 0.43 seconds. Like we almost nailed that right there in 60 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> that was tough, man. That was tough. You for a few of me. Yeah, I don't know. Um, pubs in England are generally like uh, shit. So uh, <laughs> I'd sooner drink at home. Um, but, you know, Cascales all the way. Cascales. Oh, man, I tell you what, I had to actually, so somehow you're actually the second guest that we've had on from across the pond on our podcast. We have one of our best friends lives over there as well. I had to, I had to text him this morning and ask him, Hey man, what's that, what's that warm beer called in, uh, in, uh, in London that's in all the pubs? Cause I couldn't remember what they actually (laughs) called it. So I had to, I had to do some research to make sure I got the name right of a cask ale. I got to say, man, not for me, just, just, it surprised me the first time I had it. And I think that was part of the experience was that yeah. I wasn't expecting it and it caught me very off guard. Don't you guys get ale? Uh, we do, but it's not, it's not like, uh, what is it? Cellar temperature. Is, is that, I don't know. I forget what the actual term is, but it's yeah, like, it, it would just be like cold. Like it would be like a regular beer or lager that you would get on draft. Yeah, no, it's usually a bit warmer. Um, messes you up more though, because it's warm. Like, um, you know, when you drink a cold lager and, um, you kind of you feel it in your chest because it's cold, so you can't drink it too quickly. When it's room temperature, you can really just chug at them, and uh, <laughs> they'll mess you up, man. Before you know it, a couple of them, and they're generally cheaper than lager as well. So like, um, you can get like five for ten pounds in most pubs. So like, um, 
do you guys have pints? How do you measure your? Drinks? Yeah, it's the same thing. I mean, if you went to go, if you if you went to go get a, a glass of beer, it would be the same thing as getting a pint of beer. Yeah, so like five pints would be like ten pounds. So like you can go out with twenty pounds and get absolutely twisted, <laughs> and um, not know what the hell. So like that's the why people drink the Cascale more because just because you can get twisted for like ch- super cheap. <laughs> Oh, man, that's awesome, man. Well, hey, we really appreciate you uh, taking some time, jumping on the pod with us here. And, you know, like I said, we got a best friend over there and and he's in London. Um, So maybe next time we make a trip across the pond, we can all get together, do something in person once we get get out of this pandemic and grab a Cascale. For sure, man. Just let me know. It's about... um It's about an hour and 45 minutes away. So I just hop on a train. So, yeah, man, I'm always happy to do that. (laughs) And you guys well, are in Texas, man. So um, I will be making a trip to Texas soon because I want to um, try the steak. So um, we can Ooh. definitely do that while we're right there. Yeah, man. You let us know. You come down to Austin, Texas. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely take care of you and show you a good time. Yeah, dude. I want to get to Texas as fast as possible. All right, man. Well, hey, thanks for joining us here. This has been another edition of Green with Envy. And uh, as always, Greg, lead us out. All right, we're going to play you out with some Black Sheep Optimist. This is The Path. Peace. Peace. Yo, I was dealt a decent hand. My pop's a decent man. No hate to the rat race, but the cheese I'm chasing is that way. See my plan, amazing place. See, reach your hands, appreciate these recent